This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Brothers, three weeks from now I'll be harvesting my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line, stay with me. If you find yourself alone, riding in the green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium and you are already dead. Paul, episode 83, welcome back. How are you doing? Kia ora, Dan. I, I'm good. I'm really good. I, total half measure, have no idea what that presumably movie quote is from oh it's from gladiator it's a it's oh. a russell crowe speech right from the start oh no let's start again i can't have that go out to the live audience surely goodness me <laughs> do you want me to start again no <laughs> it's, we're never gonna it's, start it's again. not the way it's not the half measures way that's amazing how did i i don't know maybe it's your accent i don't know <laughs> yeah maybe it wasn't um like intense enough like Brothers, three weeks from now, I will be harvesting my crops. Wow, now that's intense. That's a way to start a podcast. I think it was when you said Elysium. I was thinking, oh, is that that Matt Damon movie? And I went down a real, <laughs> real path. <laughs> wow. We, we've come in hot today, Paul. Really hot. I love that. Um, caught me off guard altogether. I did not expect that when you hit the record button. It reminds me of the old times when I used to try to find different speeches. In fact, mm. I've probably done this one before at some point, but it's always a fun way to start the pod. I love that. Great work, Dan. Well, Paul, we're uh, we're hurtling towards daylight savings here in New Zealand. We're approaching the summer months. That may mean less watching for some, but not for us here on the Half, Half Measures podcast. We are the TV guide of the internet. What have you got for me this week? We're committed to this, right? Okay, so I've got I've basically got one thing other than what we watched together, but that one thing is quite a big thing. It's I've always wanted to know more about the book War and Peace, um, especially because it's always been the butt of so many jokes with that expression, oh, it's a bit like reading War and Peace, which you know obviously isn't meant in a good way. And so I came across um, this eight-episode miniseries, uh, War and Peace, which is just released here in New Zealand on Neon. And it's um, so it's a, it's a BBC adaptation of the the novel and it's it's all about the french invasion of russia by napoleon um but as seen through the the eyes of five russian aristocratic families and so the and the whole story itself encompasses which i didn't know uh, like a, about a decade starting in like 1805 and that's pretty cool straight off the map because that allows this show to jump around in time and you can see all kinds of big events. People get separated and then they come back together years later. So it's quite a grand scale in that regard. And whilst I have no idea what the novel is actually like, what I can tell you is this this adaptation, this is a 2016 adaptation. It's really, really good. It's 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 such a fascinating watch. It's enjoyable. And I was thinking earlier, in terms of like things said in the 19th century, other than like uh, Deadwood, there's nothing else I've seen that's as good as this. Have you heard this one or seen this one? Uh, I have seen it uh, pop up on uh, Neon, did you say it was? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, but I haven't sort of gone any deeper. And I 
I don't know a lot about War and Peace. I did have a little chuckle to myself when you said, oh, people, that's a bit like War and Peace. And I was wondering if there was a joke to be made about, you know, your work ball. Like, is it too long? Are you, you know, is there something going, there's some hidden message in there somewhere. But no, this isn't one that uh, I've watched yet. I think when I used to work as a business analyst, I, re- I once wrote a requirements document and someone's, someone made the reference. It was like, reading you know war and peace these days people give me the the tldr treatment you know but yeah um this 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 is this is great for someone like me someone who's uneducated in that um and i did look this up before just to be sure that war and peace itself is actually broadly accurate in terms of the the historical events and the people involved in them but obviously the story itself these five families that's obviously all fiction but it's a really um effective way of of telling the story of this war that i knew very very little about um the the the, the, these different stories that are going on are really good they're really intertwined there's things happening and things like there there are characters that you think well that's it they will be mortal enemies forever but then events happen that bring them together and i guess it's kind of a Oh, I don't want to say a good reminder, but it kind of, you know, when, whenever you sort of think, oh, life's getting on top of you or whatever, it sort of brings things into perspective when you have war arriving literally outside your front door in your town or city that you live in and everything gets torn apart. And so, yeah, it's, it's and of course, being a BBC drama, it's, it's really, really well made. And on top of that, you've got an absolutely top cast, um, the likes of Jim Broadbent, uh, Lily James, Brian Cox uh, from Succession, Gillian um, Anderson, uh, Tom Burke, who I talked about a while ago, who I really like from CB Strike, uh, James Norton, Happy Valley. And the other person that I made a note of to mention specifically is Adrian Edmondson, who I absolutely loved back in the early 90s when I was a teenager in comedies like Bottom and The Young Ones. But in this he is a much more serious and he really nails it. It's really enjoyable. It look it looks interesting. Um it's kind of got all of those sort of key touch points that, you know, a bit of history, BBC, um drama. Like it's as you say, the cast alone is, is makes it worth a watch. And there's not too many episodes, is there? So it's probably relatively easy going. Yeah, so it's eight episodes. Um, so I think it's about six and a half hours in total to, to watch. So it's easily consumable over the the course of a week. And um, I was I was just looking at Adrian Edmondson and it reminded me he was in The Last Jedi as well. Um, I just realized he had another serious part that was The Last Jedi. But yeah, it's look, I, I 100% recommend it uh, if you've ever wondered what the book is like. I feel, I don't think I ever will, but I feel like I could possibly approach this book now because there is a really good story there's so much drama there's there's romance there's there's war there's they they combine all the action scenes really really well so um yeah i i would give this one all the guns it was an unexpected treat when it came up i thought oh yeah maybe and turned out to be a real winner that's good eh? like sometimes when a book is heavy going having seen the the TV series or the movies actually helps bring it to life a bit. Like I actually found that same thing with uh, Game of Thrones before before it became a, a TV show. I tried to read it and 
I just couldn't get my head around all the characters and it was so big and kind of overwhelming. But as soon as I'd, I'd watched the first season, I was able to blaze through the books because I kind of understood the universe. I, I could kind of place a few more of the characters. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's that's cool. And, yeah, so other than the things we've watched together, um, that's all I have. Because, Dan, I have been studying. So last time I was a student, it was the mid-90s and Britpop was massive and it was Euro 96, but I'm now a mature student undertaking a uh, Papa Tikanga Te Ao Māori course, and I'm being assessed tomorrow. So I had to swap TV books for for kind of grown-up stuff, which is a bit responsible for someone like me. Always good to take a, a full measure when it comes to these things, Paul. Indeed. Um, How about yourself? Well, I'm over here taking half measures. I'm still pretty deep in my Marvel... Um, timeline rewatch so i've watched four more marvel movies so uh this week uh i have watched thor dark world i have watched iron man 3 captain america the winter soldier and the guardians of the galaxy and i'll tell you paul still having an absolutely fantastic time still loving these movies in timeline order i cannot just emphasize enough timeline order is the way it's just so good just having all these events sort of play out in the correct order and i've kind of noticed sort of looking ahead to the movies that are coming up it's actually gonna the order is gonna jump around a lot more uh over the the coming few weeks as i start talking about these movies particularly as we start to introduce some of the newer movies like black widow which I have already watched, but watching it now in a slightly different context, is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I guess just to talk briefly about each one of these movies. Uh, so Thor Dark World came out in uh, 2013. This was probably kind of the the least popular Thor movie. And I've got to admit, going into this one, I was a bit like, oh, God, like some of these are going to be a bit of a chore. But they're not. Like I'm just having such a great time. And I don't know whether it's just a combination of – just having this big list of movies to kind of work through or just fun because I know where these characters are all heading. The movies that I kind of thought weren't as good are a lot better than than I remember. So and I would say the same for Iron Man 3. Like Iron Man 3 would definitely be the the weaker of the three movies. But again, I just I've got to give the the writers, the, the the directors, the the cast credit for how well they've just been slowly world building and setting up all these big things that happen in these future movies, and it's kind of just exciting to you know kind of like giggle and laugh and cheer through these movies because you know that this is going to pay off in, in a later movie. Just looking at the ratings, I see what you mean across multiple sort of uh, ways of assessing them for the dark world does seem to be low but it's it's interesting what you say because i imagine it's a bit of a double-edged edged sword one side being that when you see it in amongst all the others maybe some of the reasons why it's considered not as good as the others are more apparent because you're watching it next to all the others but at the same time because you're watching it as part of a, a big journey maybe you're more appreciative of the story and you're not so uh, pick. it's kind of like with The Walking Dead, if I may. If you were to watch it in one long go, you may be more forgiving for some of the pieces than when you just sit down and just watch one episode and it happens to be bad. I, I think you're spot on. And, you know, when I watched these movies originally, like this might have been a year since my last Marvel movie. And so to come into some of these, it's kind of like, oh, was that is that it? Like, is that what I wanted? Um, whereas now, because obviously just watching a whole heap of them in a the row, you don't have that same 
uh, pain or emotional investment um, skin in the game so much. So, yeah, so they, they were great watches, but the real standouts, Captain America, he, he's the man. Like, Captain America the Winter Soldier is such a top-quality movie, such a great follow-up to uh, the first Captain America movie. So good to, you know, they obviously introduced in the Winter Soldier, the whole sort of Bucky Barnes story. We get to see Captain America living in, in modern day. You know, they really sort of introduce... Uh, Black Widow here, you know, there's a, there's a whole uh, Nick Fury story going on in the background. This is a fantastic action movie, and it's it's so good. This is almost a, a movie you could watch independently, but you truly get the benefit from from seeing at least the other Captain America movie and the and some of the wider Marvel films. It's really interesting. Growing up, I when I think about the Marvel characters, I probably was least interested in Captain America for for whatever reason. I don't know. But even from my limited experience of watching uh, a handful of these movies, the Captain America movies always are the standout ones for me. And I'm just curious to ask, as you're midway through your journey, um, do you you already have an idea of what movie you think might come out on top? Because for me, when I look back on what I've watched, I think of The Winter Soldier as being probably my number one. Uh, Oh, it's a a tough call. Like, I would still say, surprisingly, and I'm surprising myself with this, that of the movies I've watched to date, my favourite three would probably be Captain Marvel, uh, which I would have never, you know, if you'd asked me this a month ago, that would have been right down the bottom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and then Guardians of the Galaxy, and not necessarily in that order, but... Mm. They would, oh, but even in saying that, like I'm, I'm missing out the first Iron Man movie, which is just a, a classic uh, introduction oh, of Robert yeah. Downey Jr. Um, so yeah, look, it, it's tough to say, and I think, and that's what's so good about it. There's the ones that I thought were weak aren't anywhere near as bad as I remember them, and it's still a lot of fun. And I guess that's the main thing. But then, so the last movie we watched is uh, the 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy. And this this movie is just so much fun. And on paper, like I, I, I remember probably in about 2011, 12, when they, they were talking about we're going to bring in the Guardians of the Galaxy. No idea really who these characters were. Is this actually going to be interesting? This seems like a bit of a stretch. Like, you know, we're, we're talking about Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec. Yes, right. We've got Dave Bautista from um, the WWE, like, We've got um, Vin Diesel, obviously a legend, um, as as Groot. But what what is this going to look like? But this movie, Paul, so, so funny. And this, you know, as far as all of the movies go, this is the movie that introduces Thanos. This is the movie that really starts to, you know, watching it now, knowing what I now know, actually gives really good information about the Infinity Stones. But I think, you know, watching this in the early days, it probably kind of went a bit over my head, to be honest, because I was kind of just in for the, you know, the the superhero element of it. But th- these really are world-building movies. I don't think I ever realised that this was part of the... I don't think I realised... I, I knew about the Avengers, so I obviously knew Iron Man and Hulk movies were all part of that universe, but I had no concept that something like... Guardians of the Galaxy or or Spider Man could be all part of one one same universe, and so it's uh, it's quite a feat that they managed to do that, and obviously very successfully because of course they made the, the the next one, and this first Guardians movie rates really highly, really highly. Yeah, like this is ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 
but which is awesome, right? And as we get into some of the, I think this is what I'm most excited about, like coming up, we've got um, Civil War, we've got Black Panther, we've got Thor Ragnarok, like these are Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. These are movies I have only sort of seen once or twice, so I'm really looking forward to going back to these modern ones. And and they also get really great reviews. So I feel like it's it's we can only go up from here. I love these. I love this journey you're going on, Dan. I feel tempted for us to release a special podcast where we just stitch together all your bits of talking about the Marvel movies and just it just goes as one special Marvel edition. Indeed, it'd just be me probably saying the same thing about each movie and how much I love them. Um, but so yeah, no, look, it's a lot of fun. It's I, I feel like I'm out there preaching to people too when they're like, oh, "What have you been watching?" And I'm like. Marvel movies, got to watch them in timeline order. This is how it's different. Like I'm just, I'm trying to really get people on this bandwagon. And I think what I'm really looking forward to is hopefully it's going to set me up really nicely for um, the the last couple of uh, Marvel movies that we're going to get coming out in the cinema this year. So that's going to be cool. Perfect. I love that. Perfect timing. Well, Paul, should we jump over to yours and mine, a favourite topic, The Walking Dead? Indeed, we should. And always... Uh... A reminder to listeners to check the show notes and use the timings. If you don't watch the show, you can skip ahead to the next session. We're going to talk about uh, Season 11, Episode 5, Out of the Ashes. Uh, and in this episode, we we find Aaron, Carol, Lydia and Jerry uh, off the hilltop ruins uh, looking for, for, for blacksmith tools and some nearby game. Eugene's group goes through orientation at the Commonwealth, and Maggie and Negan trudge through the woods whilst Judith and the kids clash with teenagers. I do always like to start with your thoughts, Dan. I feel like it always sets the tone. What are you thinking? Look, Paul, I'm going to be honest. I actually really enjoyed this oh, episode. Oh, my word. <laughs> and I don't know like, whether it's – is it wearing me down? Is it just that I was, was I in a different mood? Like – I'll tell you, there was one thing different about the way I watched this week's episode. So normally I'd watch it, um, you know, sort of in the evening. This week's episode, uh, I was working from home and I I was awake really early. So I actually watched this at about six o'clock in the morning uh, before I even started work. And so maybe I was just fresh. I was kind of ready for it. No one had ruined my day yet. So (laughs) I I actually had a a relatively good time. I've got a few little... um, niggles here and there but I think what this episode did is it gave me enough of all the characters that kind of felt like the story was progressing um we didn't linger too long on any characters in fact I kind of wish they built in a little Daryl segment into this just so we could progress that story at the same time just so that we don't have to have another whole episode dedicated to him but yeah I thought it was not too bad what about yourself well, firstly, I find it really interesting because I think what you described is a real thing in terms of when you watch something. Because for me, the evening is prime time. And then further to that, Friday evening, Saturday evening is big prime time, you know. And so if I watch something during that time and it's not quite up to par, I'm probably even more hard on it. Then if I'm watching something on a rainy Sunday morning, I'm pretty easy going. So I think, I think that that may have been part of how you're feeling because i know how you feel about the walking dead for me i didn't think it was too bad either but the problem i now have is is that when an episode isn't too bad i have this sense of relief firstly but then i'm kind of accepting and convincing myself that i'm happy with an episode that's just okay and the truth is 
when I compare this to, to you know to War and Peace that I watched this week, or even our, our James Bond movie of the week that we'll talk about later, this was nothing compared to either of those two things. And so, so, um, so yeah, I, I have a, I have a lot of issues with what's going on with the the Commonwealth, the idea of this orientation. I've, uh, I really struggled with. I found it hard to believe that there's this. There's this same society that has cakes and ice cream and it looks like a scene out of the good place exists within uh, an apocalyptic world. But even if it does, I cannot believe that that environment, they have people that react with the ferocity that the stormtroopers and and co did, plus the the red guy. Uh, When they found that Eugene was on the radio, those two things are out of sync for me and... um, Look, I love the idea, but uh, I, I'm picking holes now, and that's never a good sign for me. Look, I think there, it's a, it's dangerous for me because as soon as we start sort of like opening up that um, or lifting up that rock, I, I, I can feel the, the the judgment coming in. And but you know what, I'm just going to let it flow. You know, I think you're right. Like, and I think one of the one of the problems with the Commonwealth is it feels too much like like when we had the governor back in season three of The Walking Dead. And I'm kind of just like, I'm tired of like, are these guys good or bad or are they neutral? And I know that if you've read the comics, like you already know the answer to these questions, but it's just kind of uh, like, you know, why, like, just like, now these guys need to leave. Like there's going to be all sorts of double crossing, even just the whole sort of bureaucratic, like it's five weeks till you see this person. And it's all just kind of like, uh, like it's a bit fatiguing. And the, even the setting feels exactly like the the governor. And mm-hmm. I I even feel a little bit like that with some of the other scenes, like everywhere we go just feels like familiar scenery. Um, I'll tell you a couple of the things that did kind of um, – uh, frustrate me a little bit I guess in the episode is I think it's time that when you've had a big war with a group called the Whisperers and they've spray painted your fence um you can get rid of their their tag that says the Whisperers are coming or whatever that message says Mm -hmm. my other gripe would be is I, I actually quite liked um Aaron's sort of story here but like coming across another Whisperer and then like just kind of this like you know, are we gonna help them? Do we trust them? Do we? It's like, ah, oh, like it's just it's such a a fatigued Walking Dead storyline. And then when Aaron's getting a bit kind of like sad and frustrated, and then Carol turns on the waterwork, it's like, step back, Carol. Like we have had enough of your drama. Like you don't have to spotlight yourself every single time that there's an issue. No, that's the Dan I remember. See, you're right. I. I felt the same way, although I do disagree. I felt that the Aaron story was really forced for me. I just didn't, I just, I, I don't know. I thought it was just too much emotion for him. But Carol, you know, Carol ultimately stopping him from doing what he was doing. She needs to check herself because not that long ago, she would be the one leading that particular line of inquiry and probably worse worse than he was doing. So, uh, I, you know, these whisperers, they did some bad things. In real life, I consider myself pretty relaxed, pretty easy going. I think I'm a nice guy, but when I'm watching The Walking Dead, I put myself into that universe. I have no time for any of this. We know what you guys did. You're paying the price, and I'm with you, Aaron, all the way. And so, um, yeah, I that was one thing. And then the other story, of course, um, Negan and Maggie, 
what annoys me about that is what we have there in theory are two of the biggest characters in the, in the show with the biggest histories and yet their scenes uh, were the worst of the whole episode i i actually thought to myself when i was watching that these scenes i'm like i wouldn't be surprised if they actually kissed or something like that's how all over the place their chemistry seems to be and it's just kind of like like okay, you guys have now spent enough time alone together that you could probably kind of work it out. And if you're not going to work it out, go your own way. And when they, even when, you know, Negan tried to go his own way, Maggie's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. like it seems to be like there's some weird kind of like vibes between those two. I've never been so relieved in my life to see Gabriel and the King show up because it was like, oh, thank goodness, because I was thinking how much longer can they drag this this out. I was thinking the other day, and I, you know, we're into season eleven, and I'm sometimes thinking, have they just run out of story for these characters? Has it gone a season or two too long? If we'd taken some of the elements of this season and last season and tried to squeeze it all into nine, would we not be having so much filler? I don't know. It's no point talking yeah. about that, is it? Oh, I think I think you mentioned the king before. The king's actually over in the Commonwealth. Oh, sorry, not. Oh, yes, okay. They walked in. Sorry. It was Gabriel and, Gabriel. and somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's luckily to probably die because he's not a main character enough, yeah. unfortunately, for him. 100%. Um, and I think, you know, then there's obviously the other story element of um, Judith and those teenagers. kids, teenagers. I found that frustrating as well. Like, all of a sudden we've got all these kids everywhere. Like, come on. And I think given this, like, this, like most of these kids have probably been through a pretty similar thing that Herschel and Judith have been through. There's, like, they've all kind of been born largely into this world. Like, where is this, like, bullying behavior coming from? Like, there's, and even the fact that there's a, a hole in your fence where kind of walkers are kind of poking your head through and, and, and snapping. Sort that out. Like, who, who's looking after this city? Like, this is it's too much, Paul. <laughs> There's so many layers in there because, yeah, where is this bullying come from? In this world, I question whether that type of behaviour would exist because surely you, if you're with a group and you're constantly being threatened, you would be way more closer to those people and those behaviors. I don't know, maybe humans will always be humans, who knows. But um, when they were playing the game with the walker, put, daring to put their hand in front of the mouth, if I was Judith, I'd look over there and go, do you know what? You just deserve to be bitten. Carry on and just let them let them play the game. I just saw on uh, Instagram that the the young boy walker is actually Jeffrey Dean Morgan's son. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so which I thought was actually pretty cool. It must be pretty cool as an actor to be able to, um, bring your your family members in to sort of play those sorts of roles, but I, I actually I really felt for Judith in those scenes, and I, I actually think she's got some of the best uh, mm. acting abilities on, on mm. the show at the moment because I am fully on board with sort of you know how hard it is. Like she's literally been left there. It like even Michonne's left her. Like the, like it just doesn't make sense. Like why are you leaving your two children behind? Like. It doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense. But I can only presume, Dan, that this will all come to light when we watch the trilogy of Rick Grimes' movies. I, you know what? <laughs> Rick's our only hope. He really is our only hope. He needs to bring it all together. Yep. Like, he's... Bring us back, Rick. Help us. You're our only hope. Every now and then when there's someone in the shadows who's walking in, I'm thinking, oh, could this be Rick? And I, I just remind myself that if it was Rick, I would have heard about it on social media or something probably before 
the, if they bring Rick back into this final season, I'm I'm going to lose it, Paul. Like I'm going to like like a soccer fan. I'm going to like rip my t-shirt over my head. I'm going to like slide down on on the carpet. Like, oh, it's going to be great. He he's the savior we need. Nice, I like that. The savior that we need. Um, okay, so that's The Walking Dead available to watch here in New Zealand on TVNZ on demand and we have our weekly reviews of that always a highlight dan uh dan another thing i have been meaning to talk about for a little while now is sci-fi five podcast um and this this is quite literally a daily five minute podcast all about science fiction and so the format is basically on a sort of like a on on this day in science fiction history type thing so like on monday this week it was the, the it was the 20th of september and so that was the day that buck rogers premiered in 1979 and so that podcast was five minutes all about that with some trivia some behind the scenes stuff that kind of thing and so some days uh what's good about it is that you might be um it might be something that you're already into uh, and then other days it might be some sci-fi pop culture that you've heard about but you've never seen. And so that's pretty cool too because you get to learn a bit about it and then maybe you're tempted to go check it out. And I was looking back through my 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 podcast feed this week and I was just thinking, oh, what are, what are some of the best ones that I've come across so far? And probably like my top five, if I was to go with that, would be like they did one on Stranger Things, one on Cloverfield, uh, Caprica, uh, Waterworld, and there was one about droids and Ewoks, those 80s Star Wars cartoons. That was fantastic. There was even one in here I spotted then, because um, they do gaming ones as well. There's one here about The Last of Us that I think uh, you would have really enjoyed as well. So, um, so yeah, I've been really enjoying this podcast. So I really wanted to give it a shout out. It's produced by by Roddenberry.com. So you instantly know it's, it's going to be you know good quality. They have uh, three, I think, main podcast hosts. So you have uh, Jessica Lynn Verdi, Ryan Myers, and Earl Green. And Earl, who we've talked about before uh, for his other podcast, um, Retrogram. And then they also have like guest um, hosts on as well. And as a Trekkie, the two that always spring to mind for me, they had uh, the actress who played Dr. Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, the actor who played Dr. Phlox from Star Trek Enterprise. And then, of course, they also have Mission Log uh, presenters Norman Lau and John Champion come on and present as well. So there's a whole bunch of people on there. In fact, John and Earl are part of the writing team at Sci-Fi 5. So it's definitely... Uh, definitely a team effort there. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, Sci-Fi 5. This is a, a top podcast for me and definitely one that I left a five-star rating online for. This sounds really interesting and definitely one that I'm going to check out. So probably someone who is even better placed to talk to us about Sci-Fi 5 and just so happens to be here with us is Jessica Lynn Verdi, co-host of Sci-Fi 5. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much. It was so hard for me to not talk for those 40 minutes when you were describing everything you loved about Sci-Fi 5, but I did I did my best. You did really, really well. We had to keep you on mute, so uh, we, we appreciate that. Hey, it's good, because otherwise the noise gate normally doesn't take out my heavy breathing. Like, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. Hey, let's jump straight in. We're really keen to find out how did you get first involved with the Sci-Fi 5 podcast? How did that all come about? It's a great question. Um, so 
literally at, at the very least a year ago, John Champion emailed me and said, I have this great idea. Would you like to try your hand at writing one or or doing a voiceover? John's really, uh, you know, most of you know John Champion if you're in the Star Trek community in one mm. way or another. But John is really one of those very good people that um, makes a bunch of friends and is just keeps those friends in his pocket and keeps like he'll he'll go. I know this perfect person for that, or I really like working for that person. So I think half the cast of uh, Sci-Fi Five it, are people that John knows and and uh, loves to throw a bone every now and then. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, yeah. My, I, I have listened to I think pretty much all of them now. I will go on the record and say that my favorite just so happens to be one that you hosted, and that was the the Gene Roddenberry Pan Am story from 1947 with the plane crash that changed his life and made him think, do you know what? I don't want to be a co-pilot anymore. And then he went away and created Star Star Trek. I mean, that is incredible. What 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 for you and what you've done so far is probably your favorite sci-fi five so far. Well, is is it going to surprise you that I've only listened to my episodes? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, that's not true. I've listened to a couple, but I, I actually, I uh, there was one this past Monday, which, so what, uh, yesterday was the 17th, Friday. I don't know when you guys will release this, but I was supposed to listen to it. Norman was really proud of it. I didn't listen to it, but I was in pre-prod for my show. So I will go back and listen to it because John was very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say that uh, that being A, being asked to do that story, which was lended, uh, it was like copywritten by the oatmeal, right? So I guess the oatmeal had drawn... Um, that story, Gene Roddenberry's right. story about in the plane crash, and then they got the rights to it in order to make it into the podcast for Sci-Fi Five. And when I was, um, we, when John and I were at Star Trek, all of those panels of the oatmeal illustration were in the art room, and so I'm reading it, and John goes, "Oh, by the way, we're going to do that for Sci-Fi Five. And I don't, t- I typically do not know when I'm going to record for Sci-Fi Five. Uh, uh, like a, until a day before. Sometimes, oh, wow. rarely, I'll know a week before, uh, and that's really just how things go. It's it's not it's not a knock or anything. It's just sometimes I'm that busy, they're that busy. There's edits, or they decide to go a different way with what they want to cover. Um, so when he had said we're going to do this for Sci-Fi Five, he didn't say you're going to do this. So by the time we got back into town, he's like, "You're going to do it," and I was like, "I'm so excited! This is I was I was thrilled to do it. I think it turned out beautifully." Um, I am sad that they got a Gene Roddenberry sound alike because my mm. takes of the Gene Roddenberry sen- like sentence, you know, it's going to be okay, was very moving. But uh, his, his was too. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, listen. I listened to it a couple times. Uh, the final edit, and it's just super. It gave me, you know, goosebumps. It was beautiful. No, it it really is. And Earl Green did a great job on the production on that one as well. It's a great team effort for for that episode in particular. You um you've you've also been involved with Roddenberry Entertainment um across a number of things and most recently I think at the the fifty five year mission convention in Las Vegas where you co hosted uh, the stage with John that looked like a lot of fun what was that like Uh it was it was a blast um but yeah you're right so I've I've done little things for Roddenberry here and there the first thing I did for them was actually uh, I'm the voice of the in- I'm the like introduction voice for Larry Nemechek's Trek Files. And then most recently, I did all their station tags. So um, when John was like, hey, are you going to go to Star Trek? And I was like, you're going to have to give me a reason. But really, I've always wanted to go, but it's I've never been. So I had no idea what to expect. And I had no idea that it was actually going to be an official convention. I guess I don't know what 
why I didn't expect that. But I, there was a part of me that was expecting him and I were going to be in the corner of a room or in a, in on a convention floor, yep. you know, sh- shouting into like a, a personal PA system. I just didn't know what to expect. So that when I walk in with like full production of like banners and lights and I was, I was like, this is going to be great. And the best part about it is John and I had no discussion about what to do. We, we, we went up there almost, I mean, we did like a little bit, we need to cover this, we need to cover this, we need to cover this. But he knew that by asking me to do this with him, um, he was going to get chaotic neutral at best from me. And that's, I, I was able to do that. I was no holds barred and, except for like not a lot of cursing, which I was good. It's a good practice for me. I'm a, I'm a sailor otherwise. Um, it was it, not more than just like being a really great time and getting to have like so much fun with John and all the people that we met. I, it didn't hit me until after the first show that we did, which was I think Thursday morning or Wednesday morning. Um, I hadn't been in front of an audience in over a year. And mm. I was like, it was like ambrosia. It was um, amazing. I was like beaming. It was it, Even if it was early, I was, I was talking to you guys before we hit record. It was a little early in the morning for me. I'm a late night owl. Anyway, it, I was like, let's go. It's going to make these people laugh. Every time I was telling everyone to applause, I was like, because I just was, it was feeding my energy. It was, it was, a, it was just a blast. And it wasn't, that wasn't even only the, the only highlight, but it was an amazing time. That's awesome. And it, oh, look, it sure came through like that on the live stream as well. I don't know what it would have been like to to have been there, but... um. Well, I don't know. Who knows? I had to like keep, keep on looking at the audience like, please laugh. Please do it. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like Jeb Bush. I don't know if you guys know that. Jeb Bush, who literally asks his like five constituents to to clap for him. Um, but no, they were absolutely wonderful. But some people have masks on, so you can't really see how people are interacting. So I needed I needed them to kind of stay energetic. Uh, the donuts and the coffee for the audience was a good sell. And honestly, John Champion is a great punching bag. <laughs> if you ever need to make fun of anybody, he's a he takes it with such grace, but then can dole it out too. But it's so easy and fun to make fun of him. Noted, noted. Yeah, I you mentioned in there uh, Jessica about being a. Uh, Chaotic neutral, and I see you've you've got a little bit of D and D in your in your profile. And so, are you a, a player yourself? I am literally going to a nerd dungeon today to go play a one shot with new friends. So uh, today, I'm going to play a paladin, and I've never played a paladin before. So I'm stretching my you know experiences. I didn't start with D- well, did I? No, I started with Pathfinder. Um, and with a bunch of friends, and I remember being—I was still doing improv at that time—but I remember being so nervous. Like, what do you mean role play? What do you have to be the character this whole time? <laughs> and these people are not performers that I was playing the games with, and and how the tables have turned yeah, is indeed. the easiest way to put it. I can imagine uh, doing a bit of improv in D and D just comes in as a bit of a sweet package. Have you got a, a character that you normally play, or sort of a longer term game? Oh, that's a great question too. So uh, I'm I'm kind of reviving a character's name that I liked for this one shot that I'm doing. Um, his name is Hawkward, which I think is just a brilliant name, like because he's an awkward dwarf. And so this is the second time I'll be rehashing a character. Um, one of the first like one shots because I, I used to perform on Hyper RPG, which is well known for. Uh, tabletop RPGs. So I had a recurring character that I was always playing that took place in the 80s uh, for a place that called Tales from the Loop. And then I also got to play Hannah from Rat Queens. So 
uh, it, well, so while I don't have recurring characters, they tend to be chaotic neutral, if not chaotic evil. Um, but with a, with a heart of gold, it's all misanthropic, right? It's all, uh, I, I'm pushing you away before you push me away kind of characters. So I'm actually, I'm interested to, I, I'm, I'm going with something different with Hawkward today, uh, just to, to make him maybe a little antisocial, but only because he's super awkward. And I also do a, a, a podcast with the four friends that I, uh, including myself, the people that I did Pathfinder with, the first, first group I ever played with. And this character is, um, her name is Mercury Hellbreeze, and she's a human fighter, warrior, princess. Uh, she's a total drunk. And I guess she's chaotic, neutral too, but she's much nicer than most people. I, I was going to say she's different. She's not. She's not different <laughs> at all. <laughs> but she just has a different approach. <laughs> That's cool. That's yeah. cool. I like that. So uh, one of the things that we always do on the Half Missions podcast is, so tell us what you're watching at the moment. Okay. So I, just before we talked, I, I turned Cowboy Bebop back on. Um because I just finished Community again for the second time. So I just rewatched Community. When I've seen a show several times, um, I won't need it to be full attention, but I was just like, you know, when you've stepped away from a TV show or a movie long enough, you're like, oh, I totally forgot that that happened. Like I recently rewatched the first eight seasons of The American Office because it was it sucked me back in. It had been five years since I had watched it. I'm also a fan of the English um, Office too, but they're just different pace, you know, different emotional pacings. But anyway, um, so while I'm while Community was playing, for the most part, I was playing Minecraft. So it was like a double whammy of like I'm enjoying TV and enjoying video games. So Cowboy Bebop uh, commands a little bit more of my attention because of the visual aspect of the whole thing is just so gorgeous and Spike so pretty. Um, so yeah, the next binge I'm heading towards is, is Cowboy Bebop, it looks like. Oh, that's awesome. I've had a similar experience, uh, rewatching Modern Family while playing a little bit of World of Warcraft. And it was just like a, a great combo of things, like just grinding out some levels, having some laughs on that family. But I'm a big fan of the office Hearing well. that. Yeah. So I remember, um, I was maybe 10 years ago now, I, I borrowed my friend's N64 to play, um, Ocarina of Time and when there's like these like zombie sand face suckers things and it's it, it scared me as a child and it scares me to this day and I remember playing it and the only way I can get through those levels was listening to South Park at the same time too. <laughs> I, I just needed something ridiculous happening and just in order to finish those levels it's just too scary for me it's um it's so good though our shows like Community, The Office, etc. Like how you can just watch them multiple times. Like they they become such a core part of your life that it's almost like for me I miss the characters. So I want to go back and I want to spend time with them again. Maybe you two could relate to me on this. I really hate when people go, "Oh, I hate that season" or "I hate this season." Unless unless you know, like Community gets a little tough when everyone starts leaving, mm. but but they do find really interesting characters to take the place of the 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 original group. But if I love the characters, I'm not going to judge each, each season. I'm just going to hang out with them every episode. I, I really have a hard time when people find an episode they don't like of something. Like someone was like, I liked, I liked every other episode of Loki. And I'm like, how? Based off of what? What are we comparing it to? And I get opinion. Everyone loves having opinions. And that's what like our careers are built on in some ways. But can you guys relate to that at all? Or... I definitely can on everything except for The Walking Dead. But, um. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, typically, yeah, I know what you're saying. 
But isn't isn't it true though that The Walking Dead lost like several main characters? So that could be part of the reason why. It was, that, like, thank, thank you, Jessica, for don't, Jessica. Don't go yeah. there. Don't start it. Yeah. Honestly, this is a, this is a real can of wombs. So well, I'm just saying it takes time to get over the fact that someone of your fa- your favorite character is gone. It might. It, you're allowed. Listen. I'm Gray's, I'm a Grey's Anatomy psycho, psychotic person. And it was when 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 they killed off Meredith Meredith, you know, Patrick Dempsey, it was an emotional, difficult thing to move past. We're told that this is the reason we're watching the show, and it's not, because obviously there's seven more seasons past his death. Spoilers. But <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's an it you it's an emotional loss for sure. Yeah, yeah no, definitely, definitely. Um, what if we move over to? Have you got a, a favorite movie or TV show of all time? Well, of all time, well, so I guess Grey's Anatomy. I guess I have to say Grey's Anatomy because I've seen it so much, and there's so much to love of it. Um, but t- movies, you know, I have like top fives. Um, just last night, I was actually. I rewatched The Professional and L.A. Story, two disparate movies, but also not really. There's like some like sweetness and, and innocence mm-hmm. in both of those films. Um, but like top five for me is like uh, Moulin Rouge, I've seen it maybe 5,000 times, um, Pride and Prejudice, Fifth Element, Royal Tenenbaums, and uh, ooh, I always this one always changes. I'll think about it. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> the fifth one always changes. It's good. I've got, I'm getting some real strong, chaotic, neutral vibes from that, even from those list of movies. Is it? Tr- yeah. Can you figure out that th- there's a there's a there's a philosophy out there that the three top films you love, uh, or like maybe the f- top five, there is a theme connected with all of them, and yeah, that's usually yeah. good for a writer to know that or an actor to know that. So please dissect that if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Probably another podcast. Yeah, no, no, no got yeah. it. But you're right. Yeah. Like yeah. there is like, you know, Bruce Willis's character is is kind of, you know, and Moulin Rouge is going to die, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. There really is. Totally. Definitely an eclectic bunch of shows there. And I was really worried when you started talking about the US office, because that's another show that if we get Dan talking on, we'll, we'll, we'll be here for three hours. That's how it goes. I, I look forward to you inviting me to the deep dive on that, but we I can reserve. I, again, I don't have huge, strong feelings, but I could definitely expertly talk about probably some of the things you, you don't agree on. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an awesome episode. We should do an office special one day. You definitely got to do deep. We do, I do that with my podcast. We do deep dives for things where it's not a hundred percent on brand for what the podcast is about. And the person I do the podcast with, Nick Masu, he has a family, so he's like really busy, which I don't understand how you can't just, you know, drop everything to do a podcast. Mm. So we don't get to the deep dives as often as we'd like, but it's nice. It's a nice opportunity for us to just like talk really deeply on one topic that might not be about our podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll definitely yeah. do one of those. Yeah. We, we like to do a, a deep dive every now and then on our podcast. And um and talking of podcasts, I mean you 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 do a number of podcasts yourself, but you also you're you do a lot of other stuff and you're really experienced in, in improv. And I know that you did those three seasons of uh, Star Trek, uh, the improvised generation. And of course, now you are the, the, you're the director, you're the, the producer and the lead star in Heartbeats. So why don't you tell us more about Heartbeats? I'm going to use that as like a sound bite for me. Like you're the producer and director and star. I'm like, yes, I am. Um, well, so that's actually how I met John Champion was 
being in that Star Trek uh, improvised generation show, uh, we all met at, uh, I met Larry Nemechek the year before at Mm Comic-Con and then Larry Nemechek introduced us to John and they all came to see our show. So yeah, it was a Star Trek love affair. And so I've been improvising with a group called Ripley Improv and they're very supportive about uh, trying out new ideas and we voted well actually we didn't vote on doing heartbeats but they knew I'd wanted to do heartbeats for a long time and uh when the pandemic hit everyone was kind of going through that emotional like I don't think I want to do anything I don't have any energy and then one day I, I woke up and I went oh the show that I've been dreaming about is actually more feasible now than it would have been mm. um another way so heartbeats just as a quick background is an all it's a live improvised medical dramedy. So that's why I love Grey's Anatomy, right? So, or, or that Grey's Anatomy was definitely the idea. When I started doing the kind of improv we do, which is called narrative improv, long form narrative improv, our, you know, we learned how to improvise Shakespeare, how to improvise Tennessee Williams, um, different genres. So that's why that group initially went, oh, I think we could do Star Trek. That sounds like a really fun idea because that's technically in the wheelhouse and it's some, it's a, it's an IP we love. Then I uh, branched out from that show and directed X-Files, and that was really fun. We had, you know, rotating Mulder Scullies that we didn't call them Mulder, Mulders and Scullies. We called them uh, Baileys and Kits. It was very, <laughs> anyway, it was super, super cute, very difficult show to improvise. And uh, I saw that if I wanted to make money from improv, which is very hard to do, you had to have your own um, – IP essentially. So you can't do Twin Peaks Light. You can't do Star, Star Trek. You know, even uh, Seth MacFarlane's show is Star Trek, but it's not, right? Mm. So, like, uh, there was a world where, uh, you know, I was not a director for Improvised Gen, but if I had been, I might have said, we're going to pivot. We're going to make this our own show, our own world that kind of loves Star Trek. So my brain started turning that way. And Heartbeats was the first version of that where it's its own story that doesn't have to go through, you know, let's just say CBS to get the rights to in order to perform. Um, and it's, it's a friggin' blast. It's so, it's so awesome. I love the show and I'm in it. That's always a good starting point. I've, <laughs> I've watched a couple of episodes and it does look like you guys have an absolute blast, a lot of fun. I also spotted uh, in the first season some some interesting guest stars. You had Edie Patterson from Vice Principals and it has not escaped my attention, certainly as a massive Star Trek nerd, that the the Klingon Chancellor herself, uh, Mary Chifo, Laurel from Star Trek Discovery, also stars in Heartbeats too. And from the interviews I've seen with Mary, it seems you guys are not just working together, you're you're pretty good friends as well. How awesome is that? Uh, it's the best. You know, you can't you be the Star Trek also brought all of us together with Mary as well. Um, you know, worlds collided and Elisa Pearl, who's a member of Ripley Improv, interviewed Mary and they were like, we should hang out. And in L.A. that never happens. And then we all did hang out and we're like, oh, my God, we're friends. Uh, you know, this business doesn't have to be or, you know, the acting business doesn't have to be rivalistic or competitive. You can actually just meet good people and continue in the same direction together. And that's really exactly what it was with Mary. Um, and And honestly, there's an argument to be made that if Mary didn't jump in after the Heartbeats idea had been kicked around, it might not have been what I wanted it to be last season. So she's a huge factor. She jumped into that show as though it was her her idea as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I truly 
I love collaborating with people that I love. So being able to do that and just like get to do a show with her every week and then my group on top of it and the cast, it it, it is just, it's joyful because you're hanging out, doing work, feeling satisfied, doing, being artistic. You know, it, it hits all the, it hits all the, you know, bing bongies. That's brilliant. And so your second season has just kicked off as well. And so what, what are you sort of most looking forward to as you go into this second season? You know, I just, I live vicariously through my character who just wants to get laid. She just, she's so, <laughs> she's so horny. <laughs> Doc, Dr. Annabelle Love, right? Yes. Dr. Annabelle Love uh, is, is, is hooking up with a hot doctor. Uh, she's, I don't know. It, you know, this, the fun stuff about Grey's Anatomy is like the romance of it. And again, it is so unrealistic. Soap opera drama, you know, cop dramas and stuff. It's so unrealistic. But there's also a human element that if you can get down to the core of it, like we we like to kind of see a sick human and see them get better or, you know, see someone suffer and, and learn how to overcome that. Um, at least I do enjoy that as an audience member. So I'm I'm looking forward to a, like the stories deepening that we already have. We have so much wonderful storytelling going on. Um, and and so someone even in our chat sweetly asked, can you give us any hints or any like uh, clues as to what's going to, I'm like, no, we can't because it's improv. I have no fucking idea what's going to, sorry, I have no idea what's going to happen. But and that's the, like last night stuff happened in the episode that I can't even believe happened. I was saying things that I couldn't even believe I was saying. And I know everyone's storyline in and out, but I only know what happened prior. Yep. So, you know, you can't get precious with storylines. You ha- you can't get precious with like, oh, I, I don't want to. One of the first things you learn in improv is um, don't sit on your hits if it's the right hit. So like there is a difference between uh, bo- like bowling past everybody and just improvising your own show or not even offering. So there's like two different states you can be in that aren't really great for improv. One is like, I'm the best. And the other one is, I just, I'm here in the corner. So you want to be in this like neutral give and take place. Mm. And I was doing a couple of scenes where I'm like, yep, that's what we're saying now. Yes, this is how this, this is how this scene is going to go. Even though I felt like as the director, I turned my director brain off pretty quickly, but as the director, I'm going, is how we do should this be revealed yet? Or, <laughs> you know, so it's, it, that's the best part of the improv is that it, it surprises us. And then once we get over those interesting story plot points, we get to more new. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm super excited about it. That's such a fun show. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's great. When, when you say improv, I have two memories that come to mind. One, um, learning improv and, and drama at, at high school and just being a, a terrifying experience, waiting for the teacher to yell for someone else to come on scene. <laughs> and then two is Michael Scard from uh, The Office, just <laughs> always, always with a gun. So I, I hope that there's some moments of this. What did he, what did he whisper to you? He says that he has a gun. <laughs> it's the funniest. It's and the worst part is it's exactly right. It's exactly right. I've had the pleasure of teaching people that will never improvise in front of an audience in their life, but I do believe that the skill set itself is helpful for people in general, whether it's like communication or you know whatever. I'm not going to stay here and say that it didn't scare me for the first. 10 years, you know, yeah. I, I started trying improv in high school as well, and then didn't get full bore into it maybe five or six years ago. It wasn't until two years ago that I finally went, this isn't scary. And people would tell you that I'm lying because some of the best improvisers still are scared. But 
you something about it eventually clicks in that no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's doing the best that they can up there. If you're worried about what you're doing, I, I can clearly recall, Dan, what you're talking about, where like it's like, um, you know, po- freeze, freeze tag. And like I would just – we'd free – the scene where two actors are improvising, you do wild hand motions so that the, the director goes free so that they can tag somebody else in. I would – beg for that scene to be over immediately just so that I, I but you know you had to say freeze so that you could get in you couldn't not do it I don't know there's some things that are so scary about improv but um I'm, I think I needed it in order to learn how to embrace I can't control anything except for what I bring to the situation and even then I can't control how well I'll show up and so I've, I've learned to enjoy living in that um uncertainty it's it's helped me professionally personally on stage and off. I think the the best thing about, you know, a show like Heartbeats is like, as you say, like you're doing it with your friends, you're doing it and like everyone's having fun and when everyone's having fun, that, that that's what matters, right? Like you can tell when people are having a good time versus when they're not. So it's a it's a there's a chemistry that especially with this cast, Ripley has a chemistry too. That's what drew, drew us all together initially and that's uh why we've cast with uh new cast members too. There was a chemistry, you can just feel that bond. Uh, I kind of compare it to the Beatles, even though that might be a little highbrow, but like the Beatles, even, you know, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the same band without Pete Best, but they knew they needed Ringo Starr. And then you have this, you got, right. And Pete Best, poor guy, but you had a chemistry, chemical makeup that you just can't Mm -hmm. account for. And Heartbeats, uh, I didn't meet, I have not met two of the women in real life. And uh, four of them were new people that I, uh, we cast four people that I didn't know to begin with. Mm. It's as though they were cast five years ago when I had the idea. That That's the chemistry for you. That's so interesting. And, and just on that note, I guess this whole improv, it must be very different doing it uh, you know, across a computer screen as opposed to what you've done previously with a live audience. How does that change things? Uh, I think that's what made Heartbeats possible to begin with because it always was going to be a television show and the Mm. challenge was making it I always wanted it to look like one on stage and be able to be filmed so in some ways the zoom zeitgeist made it more possible more feasible but if I'd be lying to you if I said that I didn't want to be on stage with these people there's like some whole different kinetic thing that's going on there's some members of Ripley Improv that have volunteered behind the scenes, but don't want to be doing the Zoom improv stuff. So um, what we've done really well as an ensemble, I think, is, you know, open our minds to all the, or, you know, turn off the brains that are judging the fact that we're improvising alone in a room to a TV and drop into the best of our ability. So I I think, at least for me, I walked away feeling like I just improvised a whole show. Look mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's totally – it's a different energy exchange, having to set up your own green screen and lighting and making sure that you're – that's an, it's annoying. But when once the green light go happens, it's it still has its own version of a magic for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Jessica, where can people watch Heartbeats? That's the most important thing here. How can they watch it? How can they get involved and how can they stay connected with you and with the show? No, the most important thing is us being here right now and getting <laughs> to know each other. Um, but if you are interested in watching Heartbeats live, there will be seven more episodes for this run um, now through November 5th, every Friday, American time. <laughs> yeah. um, 
on twitch.tv yeah the only time right yeah (laughs) pacific time it's like oh wait is there even new york um so uh 6 p.m pacific on fridays at twitch.tv slash ripley improv and if you're there live you can offer suggestions that will absolutely affect the like last night's suggestion suggestion was um an engraved zippo and we had ourselves a good old southern boy who was trying to quit smoking um but if you want to catch up, you never you don't need to like watch every episode in order to catch up. That's the beauty of a soap opera. You'll kind of get the gist of the gist of oh she slept with him and she's okay got it. But uh, if you want to watch all the episodes, which they're all great in their own ways, uh, Ripley Improv has a YouTube channel, or you can go to ripleyimprov.com and you can find a link to all the episodes from season one, and then episodes from season two will be uploaded as we go live. Well, that's awesome. Look. Uh... <laughs> We will be certainly for you giving happy uh, a massive shout out across our networks, across our social media. It's clearly a show that has a lot of fans, is a lot of fun. And so we'll get people here in New Zealand. We'll get them on, on board as well. New Zealand fans are beautiful fans. That's it's right. all I've ever it's all I ever want. I have a feeling one day I will go there and never come back. So I can't I can't wait to uh, grease the wheels this way with you all. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's happened to more people than you know, the whole coming here. I came here originally thinking I'd be here for a year, 20 years later, uh, married with kids, and this is my home. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. I, I don't know that the kids part will happen for me, but one day. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> not until I'm famous. We'll see what happens. Well, um, look, Jessica, it's been so great having you stop by here on the Half Measures podcast today. We wish you all the best with this second season of Happy's, and we'll have to check back in with you in the future to see how it's all going, I think. Oh my God. And thank you so much for listening to uh, Sci-Fi 5. It's such an enjoyable show. And, um, you know, I know you know this, but uh, my other co-hosts are amazing and the writers are amazing. And John's okay. He's okay. He's okay. Right? But but also, thank you for having us. You've been so su- uh, supportive ever since I've seen your, your Instagrams and your tweets. So thank you. Awesome. Always great to have a, a special guest on the show. Shall we uh, switch back into the normal format, Paul, and go to our movie of the week? Yeah, I think so. I think it, you're right. It is good to have someone else on the pod. It gives gives the listener someone else to listen to other than you and I, which must be quite nice, I imagine. Um, so yeah, you're right. Uh, we're back into our movie of the week. We're back down to our countdown to No Time to Die and our James Bond movie of the week review this week is the second Daniel Craig movie, Quantum of Solace. So uh, if you haven't already picked up on what we've been saying before, join our Discord community. You can click on the notes in the uh, on the on the link in the show notes. And each week in advance, we post what movie we're going to be watching this week. You probably already guessed, as I said, Quantum of Solace, the second Daniel Craig movie. Indeed. So this movie basically picks up where Casino Royale um, left off, so following the death of Vespa, uh, James Bond makes his next mission personal. The hunt for those who blackmailed his lover leads him to the ruthless businessman Dominic Green, a key player in an organisation who coerced Vespa. Bond learns that Green is plotting to gain total control of a vital natural resource and must navigate a minefield of danger and treachery to foil the plan. Dan, there's so much about this movie when I watch it that I really, really enjoy. And a lot of it feels, when I try to break it down, they feel like set pieces. Um, 
I love, I've always loved the start of a Bond movie. You talked about it last week with Casino Royale, you know, with the, the pre credit scene that we had in that movie. And it's always guaranteed to be something special. And this movie, Quantum of Solace, arguably for me has the, the most frenetic, fast paced start to any Bond movie. But I feel that it potentially sets a pace, a pace that, the rest of the movie sort of almost can't keep up with but um it is a frenetic start uh and there's bits throughout that are absolutely top notch but overall this movie is i'm gonna say it is definitely the weaker of the four and i dare say probably the five by the time we get to no time to die what do you think yeah i couldn't agree more so i think the the start to this movie is it comes in at level 10 Mm. like you're just the car chase and i think what's great about the car chase is it was kind of a missing element from casino royale as far as james bond movies go like there's always an awesome car chase and we did get a little bit of a little bit of that in casino royale but this scene more than makes up for it by just opening this right up with this epic chase uh and as you say goes from giant set piece to giant set piece and i think this movie, you know, what again, you know, like we say with so many movies, it's actually been really good to watch Casino Royale and then go into Quantum of Solace because I actually made more connections than I think I ever really realized. And there's, there's actually so much continuity again between these two movies. But I'm with you in the sense that I'm a little, I, I, it's a little bit hard to be as invested in this movie. And I, I'm not sure what it is like the, like the big, the big scenes, the the big action sequences are there. We, we've still got a great cast. There's just something that doesn't hook me in as much with this one. But in saying that, overall, it's still a a great, fun Daniel Craig, James Bond movie. Oh, it is still a top movie. And I guess my criticism, and probably yours as well, is harsh within the context of what we've just seen and what we know is coming. I think you're right, though, what you said about the, the this movie is deeply connected to Casino Royale. And for me, that's really in terms of the grief that Bond is going through. And it's one of the reasons that if, um, you know, if maybe he's not quite his usual smooth talking one-liner type bond he still has elements of that with with um miss fields but that's a minor distraction at best and that's fine but for me i feel the quality of the casino royale story is rooted in that that story that love and deep connection with vesper and here in this movie it's a very big period of mourning for 007 and so that that takes away something that the movie can give but it's necessary to do that yeah, and I think this is this is again the the evolution of uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond, right? Like we talked about that last week. How this was the the un the uncut gem, these unpolished, he's unrefined in in his craft. You can see that he's clearly kind of up the ante. Mm. I think in what his character's kind of going through in this movie is almost I don't really care what happens to me, and he's kind of putting himself. At, at high risk at all times and he's and I think because he is so sort of emotionally hurt by it all is it, he's kind of playing it like if I die I die like but I want to do what I can to, to solve this um and I think as far as kind of James Bond topics go like as a you know ultimately this is about uh water and who has control of it as a 
Pam as an asset, for some reason, like it's it's very topical and it's you know very smart and kind of environmentally conscious and probably something we should be thinking about. But in the in the James Bond universe, I'm kind of looking for sharks with laser beams on their head. I am looking for uh, nuclear weapons. I I'm looking for something a bit more uh, spy worthy. I guess I'm imagining the producers showing this to a test audience and you're in the audience and you've got like a cigar and a cognac and you just like throw your hands in the air. And, I want sharks with lasers on their heads. Damn it. Um, but you're right. Despite all that, you are right. I, I feel like that, that environmental story kind of combined with, look, I'm not overly convinced with the villain, Dominic Green. And I think this whole environmental piece that he has with that, I feel for me, I feel villains in Bond movies, particularly, they either have to be like intimidating or they have to be creepy or powerful or mysterious or a combination of that. But for ultimately, Don, Dominic Green is kind of not enough of any of those things. I did like it at the end when he went crazy with the axe and he started like doing a really high pitched scream with each swing of the like that was that that was the first time he sort of really turned the volume up. But the rest of it just compared to a lot of other Bond villains you know you've really got to bring it if you're going to come into that role I think and maybe it wasn't quite there yeah I think and again we've already said it but what makes up for this is so many great set pieces mm. and like you know we go from the car chase we go all of a sudden to the you know James Bond stealing that guy's motorbike and just sort of like the way he kind of revs it and it kind of kick flips him off the bike so cool and there's 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 this endless scenes like that where there's these big things happening and I actually think this might be a bit of a theme for our next couple of movies as well because I remember like you know going to the movies and watching it and just thinking we're actually just moving from giant explosion to giant explosion to giant and but I'm, I'm hoping that uh the story is, is better because the, the other movies are they're not very fresh in my mind at the moment so I yeah. sort of feel like I'm coming in I'm coming in kind of with new eyes yeah, no, it's interesting. Diana and I had the same sort of feeling. We're very familiar with Casino, very familiar with Casino Royale, pretty familiar with this, um, but the next two, not as much. Although I will say Skyfall, I, I have a very strong memory as being very, very good. Um, back to this one. The other thing I was going to say, um, it, it's not as glamorous as well as Casino Royale. And, you know, and I guess, again, that's the, you know, the, the difference in the setting, the desert at the end, it's very bland in that respect there were a couple of things i'd forgotten like i'd totally forgotten that um david harbour shows up playing that real deck of a cia guy that was pretty cool um the theme music the uh, the alicia keys jack white theme change of this one i really like um olga kurlenko uh who plays the uh, camille I, th I think this is probably one of her best performances so there are a lot of good things in there the set pieces that you talked about another one that sticks out to me and I forget exactly when it happens, but when they both fall through the glass ceiling and the camera sort of follows them down. I think at the time I remember thinking, oh, I've not seen that before. Um, and I did appreciate the, the Mathis story and the continuation of that from Casino Royale and how we all came out thinking one thing out of that movie, but actually we learn another. And it was a, it was a nice way to finish that story because I really liked Mathis in Casino Royale and I didn't like him being the villain of the piece. Yeah, and I think this is where... The, the recency effect, much like the Terminator watch, much like my Marvel watch, is so important because I 
think that when I probably saw Quantum of Solace in the theatre, I wasn't aware that when James Bond pulls the guy out of his boot that that's the guy from the end of the first movie. I've kind of mentally forgotten that. Even a little bit with Mathis, right? Like, just, like, they're not, they're not, unless you've recently watched the movie, they're kind of forgettable faces. Yeah. And it's all just kind of a blur of names, but they actually are all connected. And when you start to see it all connected as a, as a big masterpiece, it is such a different vibe and feeling to it. Good call. Definitely a good call. Look, I um, I still rate this movie. Uh, it's, as we said, it's just around the others. It's just, just not quite there, but it, we still had an absolute blast of a time watching it. And it just, you know, when you see at the end of the credits, James Bond will return and you know that for us, that's going to be within seven days. That's That's really exciting. I think the one thing I've got to give this credit for is that even though it's not our favourite James Bond, it doesn't overstay its welcome too much. Like it's a little bit of a shorter runtime, and so credit to those guys for that. That they they didn't give us a, a three hour ordeal, just kind of sort of dragging it out because it's the James Bond way. So I'd probably give this one a three guns akimbo. Yeah, I'll go with three guns as well, and a really good call. I just yeah, one hour forty six. When you think about how long Casino Royale was. This is the perfect length for this type of movie. And I think you'll probably get the most satisfaction doing what Dan and I have done here, watching it all in a row. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go. All right. So just a couple of things this week. So it looks like uh, Netflix is reportedly trying to purchase the rights to Raul Dahl works. So obviously things like Wally Wonka, Matilda, BFG. Interesting, um, you know, Raul Dahl's got a, a, a fascinating back catalogue of books. I think some of those are already fantastic movies in their own right. Pretty interesting and cool that Netflix might look to acquire them, potentially some, some remakes I imagine in there. So watch this space. This isn't apparently normal for Netflix to acquire such big properties like this. So um, this will be a little bit of a rarity for them if they do pull it off. Brilliant. That brings out lots of great memories for me just thinking about Roald Dahl as a kid. So fantastic. Indeed. Uh, Obi-Wan has finished filming, um, according to Ewan McGregor, which is incredible news. Can't wait to see that. We'll be all over that um, on this podcast, but always love it when we hear from the particularly someone like Ewan McGregor, it's all done, obviously going into post-production. It's exciting times. I want them to drop the whole thing. I want us to take a week off of work and we're just going to soak it in and do one big podcast. Paul, speaking of of Star Wars, I don't know whether you've seen this going around the internet at the moment, but um, Marcia Lucas, so George Lucas's ex-wife, has been making some pretty public comments of late over Star Wars. Um, So the, the headline kind of reads, Furious over Star Wars sequel trilogy. They don't get it. So she's said a few things here. So she's not really happy with the last three movies. She's also not happy with the prequels. And so I'll read out this uh, this quote. from This is from the prequels. I remember going out, um, out to the parking lot, sitting in my car and crying. I cried and I cried because I didn't think it was very good. And I thought George had such a rich vein to mine, a rich palette to tell stories with. There were things I didn't like about the casting and things I didn't like about the story, things I didn't like. It was a lot of eye candy and CG. 
And one of the things that she doesn't, so that's with the prequels. And then one of the things, well, actually, there's a couple of things she's not happy with with the latest movies. She's definitely not happy they killed off um, Han Solo. And she's very angry that the um, Luke Skywalker was basically, you know, turned to dust. So interesting. Um, I find it interesting, Paul, that people come out of the woodwork and kind of like say their piece. Um, and it's kind of like it makes all the sort of media and attention, but. There's kind of, I guess, a bit of a, a so what to it, but obviously she was heavily involved in the, the first three movies, so I guess she's got as much right as anyone. What do you think? Get her on the pod. I reckon we can have a great old time. I mean, you and I reviewed The Rise of Skywalker in our second podcast episode ever, and I, just listening to what you said, eye candy and CG, I'm, you know, with respect to the actors and actresses in that movie, I think they're all top notch and I find that really insulting on their behalf. But um hey, to each their own. This is a loop. I can do in CG. That sounds like somebody who's had a video interview with us, Paul. That's how they describe us. Exactly, exactly. All right. So um last bit of news. I just wanted to go through quickly. We've recently had the the Emmys. Um and so the twenty twenty one list of winners. So couple of the key categories so the drama series the crown um took out that category and comedy series ted lasso top show highly recommend watching it i actually need to get around and watch season two limited series winner was the queen's gambit this was another highly reviewed show here on the half measures pod uh the tv movie category was dolly Parton's christmas on the square haven't seen that myself but i, I imagine that's a lot of fun uh lead actress winner Olivia Coleman from The Crown, lead actor in a drama series, Josh O'Connor from The Crown. The Crown's coming in hot. I, mm. I need to watch The Crown. I keep thinking, I know that you've talked about it quite a few times and I need I need to get around it. Lead actress in a comedy series, Jean Smart for Hacks. Lead actor uh, in a comedy series, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso. Uh, lead actress in a limited TV series, Kate Winslet, Mayor of Easttown, another favourite show here on... Uh, here on the pod, lead actor in a limited series, Ewan McGregor in Halston. Haven't seen that one, but I imagine it's good if Ewan McGregor's in it. Best supporting actress uh, in a drama series, Gillian, uh, Gillian Anderson, The Crown. Uh, Tobias Menzies, also in The Crown. The Crown's just taking it out. It's, it's incredible. So I won't go through the entire list. We'll be here all day, but con- congratulations to uh, all of the winners. Um, you know, it's probably just about time for us to start handing out some half measures awards to uh, various uh, TV shows and and movies. Yes, yes, I know a lot of people in the Hollywood circles have been wondering when that day is coming. Uh, it's interesting because I was going to talk about the Emmys as well and the Crown. I I love the Crown, but I, and I love the Queen's Gambit. But I have to say, if I had to put all three of them in a big pot and pull out some winners, I fancied. And for me, the mayor of Easttown might have pulled out a few more. That for me, of, of those three, was probably the one which stuck with me the most. And I loved the Grand and we had a great time at Queen's Gambit. But the mayor of Easttown, I was, uh, yeah, I was expecting that to do better. But hey, it's it's, it's tough out there, right? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a pretty tough, um, you know, like the Mandalorians in a number of these categories, the boys, Bridgerton, Lovecraft Country, there's co but like, there's some pretty tough choices to be made in there. The only other thing I have done this week that you haven't mentioned is um, 
and by the time this podcast airs, uh, it would have already started is Star Wars Vision. Uh, Star Wars Visions, sorry. Um, that's that's streaming on Disney Plus September the 22nd. And the trailer trailer for that looks absolutely superb. Um, very different to anything we've seen uh, previously. So I, yeah, might have a look and see. I'm not sure what the format is for that, how it's going to drop down, but I'll be keen to do, sort of do a bit of a review of that with you as well. Yeah, I think we should be able to do a, a week by week review of those episodes. And I think what's going to be fun about it is, you know, this is going to be presented in quite a different style each week. So I imagine there's going to be lots to talk about. 100%. I'll take us on over to the Half Measures mailbag. Um, first up, Dan, uh, this week in our mailbag, we received an invitation for us, you and I, to appear on the Blue Table Talanoa podcast next Amazing. friday i we've been invited out it's it's rare right i do have two things to say one how lovely and how kind of, of, of claudia and pear to invite us on their show two they do this live on facebook and they broadcast it with video as well am i gonna have to wear smart clothes or something like i don't know that sounds like a full measure. Um, I haven't taken a full measure in a long time, so mm. that's terrifying. Um, wow, I I um, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for live. I no, I, I need to be edited. I, I can't be left unchecked. <laughs> so much editing goes into this podcast. How could we possibly face doing something live? Um, but yeah, look, really looking forward to to appearing on Blue TV, Blue Table Telenoa podcast. Um, so if you're free at 1pm New Zealand time next Friday lunchtime, head on over to Blue TV's Facebook page and watch us probably, um, you know, do a very professional job, I'm sure. Um, what else have I got here? Oh, secondly, Dan, it has been great to see um, more people proudly wearing the the Half Measures brand with pride, um, we've had sightings of uh, T-shirts in Ireland, uh, in New Zealand. There's a couple of mugs in the Wellington region. I feel like there's a punchline there. Um, but yeah, head on over to halfmeasurespodcast.com and click on the merch tab. And if you sign up to become a Patreon, word on the street is you may even get a discount for some, you know, for some money off. So Christmas is coming, right, Dan? Everyone needs some half measures merch in their Christmas stocking. Fully endorsed. Going back to James Bond, so um, this week, our old mate Bruce, uh, the first person ever to contact us when we got going, he tweeted us this week and said, after all the talk on last week's pod about James Bond, I've just watched The Rock on TV and I've come across the following fan theory that I think provides a lovely ending to Connery, Connery's Bond tenure. Um, and he's included a link to a, a Screen Rant article um, all about how in the story The Rock that Sean Connery stars in the 90s movie, he is actually still James Bond and the whole story is actually a continuation of James Bond. We then have... Um, Pentex Productions chime in on the on the chat as well, and they sent through a, a video that they put together. And this video, I I have to admit, it's only seventeen minutes. I sat down uh, over my lunch and I watched the whole thing, and it is so so convincing. Um, 
there's a real possibility that as a fan theory that this one holds weight. This one has had over half a million views as well, this video. So it's not just something, you know, there's, there's a lot of likes for this. So thank you, Bruce, for getting in touch. I do love that kind of thing. It makes me want to go away and watch The Rock right now. Look, I would be, I would welcome a, a rock rewatch at some point. It's a fantastic movie. And I love a good uh, fan theory like this. It's, it's like how um, Vin Diesel in Fast and the Furious is potentially a Terminator. Fantastic. I'm all about it. Also, uh, we heard from Mel Edwards uh, from the Wellington region here in New Zealand. She got in touch to say that she just listened to two of our podcasts back to back. Um, one of which was our, our special pod review of Prometheus and Alien Covenant, and that the podcasts, and I love this, she said, were the soundtrack for her morning. So much work had gone into them. She loved the Alien deep critique. Um, so thanks for that, Mel. That is awesome. Now, last week's peak performance, our final thing here, peak performance, uh, was Christopher Plummer. Uh, we had Jason from... Potty Roar uh, went with The Sound of Music. Ash from Palmerston North went with General Chang uh, in The Undiscovered Country. Uh, we had Borgesia uh, went with The Sound of Music uh, and then a special mention for The Money Changes. Uh, also uh, his role of Wellington in Waterloo, his role of the Nazi in Scarlet and the Black, and more recently his role in The Beginners, which gave him a um, Best Supporting Actor Oscar, the oldest person to ever receive a, uh, an Oscar for that at that age. Um, so some great suggestions there. We also had uh, Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast give us his 321 of Star Trek Six, The Sound of Music, and his number one was The Fall of the Roman Empire. And finally, Half Measures producer Trisha Brady went with, yep, Captain Von Trapp and The Sound of Music. A lot of votes coming in for The Sound of Music this week. Unlike ourselves, Dan, it seems our audience know more than we do. Yeah, I feel like we really probably should have given uh, given given some points to The Sound of Music, but thankfully our audience has come in clutch and saved the day. Indeed they have, and that is our mailbag this week then. All right, well, shall I take us on over to our peak performances? So, much like our movie of the week, every week Paul and I take tunes, choosing a different actor, actress, director, or producer to talk about what we think might be their peak performance. Paul, who are we talking about this week? This week, Dan, we are going with the one and only Sir Ian McKellen. Fantastic stuff. So this, uh, look, Sir Ian is a fantastic uh, actor. He just brings such joy to the screen. For me, this week, I feel like I'm going with relatively simple choices, but you know what? They're my choices, so we'll let the audience come and fix our mistakes if need be. So for me, for my runner-up, I'm actually going to go with uh, 2000's X-Men, where uh, Sir Ian uh, actually played Magneto. And this was a sort of a such a, a, f a fun, um, first kind of like proper dwelve into the 
uh, the superhero universe. Obviously, the X-Men sort of turned into a, um, a fiery garbage truck running down the street. But when it first started back in 2000, these movies were great. This was really finally getting to see the, the X-Men on the, on the big screen, and, and it was a fantastic watch. And Magneto is such a, a fantastic uh, villain, and I couldn't think of anyone better than uh, Ian McKellen to play, play that character. And for my number one, I just can't go past it. 2001's The Lord of the Rings. There, there's no other movie that comes to mind when I think of Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Such a fantastic character. Gandalf the Grey, Gandalf the White. Like he's just he's he's the core of of that whole movie universe. When Gandalf is um, taken by the, the the Balrog and then he, he finally returns. Those, those are devastating scenes. And I just love that, that that Gandalf was able to sort of be part of the fellowship and, and see it through until the end. So the, for me, X-Men and the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Great, great choices, Dan. I um, Look, I, I'm going to go in a very different direction for my honourable mention. And that is with the uh, TV comedy from Ricky Gervais uh, extras in which Sir Ian McKellen plays Sir Ian McKellen. And it may sound a little bit simplistic and it may be a poor choice, but like you said, it's my choice. He, he plays a parody of himself trying to explain to uh, Andy Millman being played by Ricky Gervais, how it is that he acts. And he's, um, you know, I, he just says like, Oh, you know, Case in point, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson calls me and says, come to New Zealand. And I said to him, you are aware that I am not actually a wizard. And then when I got there, I pretended to be a wizard. And he says it with such seriousness. And he's looking, this is Sir Ian McKenna looking Ricky Gervais direct in the eye with the most serious look saying, I pretended to be a wizard. And there's so much, This it's just absolutely fantastic. I I can't believe I've chosen it for my board mention, but I can't get it out of my head. I needed to talk about it. I, I think this is what's so great about Ian McKellen, right? And in saying that, it actually reminded me of how great the friendship is um, between Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. And quite often when you see um, social media posts or Instagram photos of those two, actually just having a great time. And I just, I just, I love that. There's, there's such a great combo. They, they really, really are. Um, actually, Patrick Stewart's a good choice, Dan. Let's talk about that another time. I, I feel what you were saying before about, you know, the audience needs to put it I feel sometimes as a podcast host, do I need to try harder? Do I need to be more artistic or something? Because just like you, I would be lying if I went with anything other than Gandalf. And more specifically, I guess I would say the, the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the you know, Gandalf the Grey. I feel like his entrance into the Shire when he's on that horse and cat and he's majestic and he's singing and humming away to himself all of his lines are great um a wizard is never late i always try that at work when i'm a minute late or two max sometimes uh his voice the way he looks um just it's just perfect the facial expressions we were talking about this the other day about actors that you know uh like kevin costner that can say things without saying anything that when he's he's got his pipe in his mouth and he's pondering what he's hearing Frodo say or how his eyes are moving when he can sense that Bilbo has the ring. Um, you shall not pass. I always relate to the Obi-Wan type of character in a major movie. And that is the case here. So yeah, 
definitely for me, the Fellowship of the Rings is my peak performance. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think someone like Sir Ian McKellen, and I'm sure he would be highly offended if he listened to this podcast and heard this, but I think of him as one of those uh, actors or, or people actually who's always kind of been older. Yeah. And I, I struggle to think of him as a, as a young actor because I feel like he's been, he looks the same to me over the last 20 years. Like, and that, that's kind of been his look. And I just think of, even, even if I was to imagine what a young Sir Ian McCallum would look like, it would look exactly the same. That's so true because I had the same thought today when I was looking at this, you know, last minute, getting my choices together. And I was thinking about that movie we watched where we, uh, The Good Liar, uh, that he and Helen Mirren were in, we had as a movie of the week a while ago. And I thought about how old he looked in that. And that was a 2019 movie. And of course, Lord of the Rings was started in 2001 and was probably filming in the 90s. He was like early 60s at that point. And yet when I look at him now, or even before the Lord of the Rings, same age, always the same age. Same age, indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. A little bit of a, a longer one this week. Yeah, it is indeed. It was great having uh, Jessica pop onto the podcast for uh, chat. Um, so be sure to check out um, Heartbeats uh, every Friday online. Uh, if you do want to get in touch with us, do so at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at halfmeasurespod. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Dinah Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. If you too would like to become a Patreon, then you can find those details in the show notes below. If you'd like to buy a T-shirt, you'll also find those in the, the show notes below. Have a great time, everyone. Adios.